it's hard to believe this is the fifth year um, that I've been speaking on Rashi. I don't know if anyone here has, has been here for the five years. Oh, okay. Um, and it's very, very exciting that we have returnees. Okay, wonderful. Um, Rashi was and is the most studied Bible commentator in Jewish history. We know this because there are more than 300 manuscripts of Rashi's Torah commentary scattered in libraries throughout the world. Many, many more manuscripts than any other Torah commentator. Additionally, Rashi's commentary to the Torah was the first dated printed Hebrew book in Regio di Calabria, Italy, in 1475. With so much studying of Rashi, it's not surprising that a new genre of literature developed explaining and elucidating Rashi. This type of literature is called Rashi supercommentators. More than 200 supercommentaries have been written on Rashi's Torah Perush, and the number grows from year to year. These supercommentaries scrutinize Rashi's language, syntax, and content with the goal of elucidating ideas and resolving difficulties. And yet, even with all of these explanations, there are questions that remain until today. This lecture is entitled, Guide to the Perplexed. No, I did not get confused between the Rambam and Rashi. Today we will investigate, time permitting, four perplexing questions regarding Rashi's Bible commentary. Let us begin. Um, we're starting with source number one, Rashi's Nusach, the wording of the Tanakh that stood before Rashi. In Sefer Bamidbar, we have a very, very famous pasuk, You will see the tzitzit, and you will remember all the mitzvot of Hashem. What does Rashi write? The numerical value of the word tzitzit is 600. If you add to it eight knots, eight strings, the chamishak sharim and five knots, you get to 613 mitzvot. Alrighty, and this is the gematria, right on the board here, on the PowerPoint, of Sitzit. The, Ran, the Ranban says in his commentary, the second source, and we'll just skip to the bolded, I don't understand this. The way Sitzit is written in my Torah has no Yud. The second Yud is missing after Sitzit. Um, and if that's the case, if we're missing a yud, then the number only adds up to 590, the gematria of the word tzitzit, and not what? And not 600. This problem is something which, obviously, many, many, many commentators grappled with. Um, and, and the Tosafot on, on the Masechet Menachot, what is he, he brings the situation regarding Rashi, and he says, um, oh wow, when it goes on this PowerPoint, I lose some of my bolding and some of my underlining. The second line, Piresh Bekunturis, that means Rashi. Rashi explained, etc., etc. Go down to the fourth line. V'yesh lomar, sheyesh pasuk lachem How does he answer the question? How does Rashi say 613 if we're missing a yud, which we're missing 10? He says, well, notice, the word tzitzit is mentioned three times in what? In our section. And in one of the times it's mentioned, it's prefixed by the letter Lamed, Litzitzit. And what's the gematria of the letter Lamed? 30. So the Lamed of the Litzitzit, which is equal to 30, add 10 to each one and you get to what? You get to 600. Okay, that's how the, that's how the Tosafot explains this situation. How can Rashi bring a Midrash, okay, which doesn't match the biblical text? This answer was a popular one. 
And we can see it in the following manuscript. I'd love to bring you Rashi manuscripts. This manuscript is a very, very important one. It's in the Leipzig, um, in Leipzig, Germany, in the library. It's probably the most important Rashi um, manuscript of Rashi's commentary to the Torah. Um, if you notice where I encircled it, there's a taf in the beginning and a taf at the end. Do you see the tafs in the back? Can you see that where the arrows are? Taf is a, 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 short, a shortened version of what word? Abbreviation of tosefet. A tosefet. Okay, so we have Rashi. Look at the before the circle. We have the word taryag, right? So that's Rashi's commentary. There's a tosefet. There's an interpolation. In addition, saying, wait a minute, this doesn't seem to work out. It's the interpolation. It's the answer we saw in the Gemara, the Tosafot, put into what? Into Rashi's commentary. Alrighty, for the reader to, as the reader's reading, it gives you an answer to the question that rises in your mind regarding the fact that we're missing the number, the letter yud in the word tzitzit. Um, but why would Rashi bring a Midrashic answer that doesn't match the text that we have today? And I want to introduce you to something very interesting. This is a book written, put together by a man, a scholar, Benjamin Kennecott, who was from Oxford. And Benjamin Kennecott had a, a crew of people. They went through, in Oxford, hundreds of Jewish old manuscripts of the, of the Old Testament. And he put together a book of variant readings, variants he saw within the biblical manuscripts. The book is, has two parts. The top part, and we'll see it closer, is the biblical text. And on the bottom are the variants, the different readings that he found in different Bible manuscripts. Each manuscript he gave a number. So if we see here, we're in numbers, we're in Bamidbar. Okay, it's Roman, no, Roman, no, Roman, Roman numerals, which like is a dying, you know, a dying thing. Um, in any event, we go down to Vahaya Lachem Litzitzit. You see where I, that, okay, the red. Notice after the second Sadi, there is a little asterisk. Already, that's the Yud that we're, we're concerned about. In our biblical text, we have no Yud. Incidentally, on the left side, on the top, what do we have? What does he bring us? The Samaritan Bible, the Torah Tashomronim. And he shows you how the Samaritan Bible is, might be different. So on our words, Vahaya Lachem Litzitzit, what do we have in the Samaritan Bible? Vahayu letzitzot. Okay, but that's not important to us now. Okay, so he has the phrase Vayalacham letzitzit. Let's go down to the bottom of the page where he brings variants. He shows us the word tzitzit, where the arrow is, with the yud after the tzadi, is found in one, two, three, count up the numbers, ten biblical manuscripts that he found. Each one has a number, there's an index in the back. So, the, so Rashi, who brings the gematria for the word tzitzit, with two yuds, that is the Sefer Torah that he had in front of him. And we see from ten biblical manuscripts that they still, this, this Nusach, which is not our Nusach today, still exists in the world. Okay, This book, which we're going to use over the next few moments, is found in the National Library. And every time I open it and I use it, I just cannot believe, I cannot believe what an important tool it is. Alrighty, so um, we see it in terms of the, the word tzitzit. Um, this is what the book looks like. Notice, when did he work on this, Benjamin Kennecott? It was finished in 1780. He started in 1776. I'm thinking of George Washington. I promise you, whenever I use the book, open the book, I'm thinking it's the Revolutionary War, and Benjamin Kennecott and his crew are sitting in Oxford going through ancient Bible manuscripts. Right? It's just something which is just, the, I don't know, to me it's something unbelievable. All right? <laughs> um, probably not. They probably had to travel through the world. I don't believe Oxford has all these manuscripts. We're talking about over 600. So he, 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 he spent his 
He sent his crew. crew correct. 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 Exactly. Nowadays, in the National Library in Jerusalem, we have microfilm, and we use it by microfilm. I don't believe in 1776. I might be wrong, but I don't believe that at that point there was a microfilm. <laughs> I might be wrong. In any event, if we want to just, I brought you some other examples. We're not going to look at them. Of other places in where Rashi brings a, a midrash, which doesn't jive with our reading of the text. Hapilakshim, Rashi writes, chaser ktiv. The yud is missing after the shin, and he gives a midrashic answer. Well, in our Torah, in our scrolls today, our nusach has what? Has the yud. We are from, all from, we're all familiar with the next example. kalot moshe. What's the famous Rashi? Kalat ktiv. Obviously, what did Rashi not have in a Sefer Torah? The Vav. Alrighty? And then in Sefer Dvarim, Ba'asimim, he reads, Chasi writes, Chaser Yod. Alright? And obviously, and today in our manuscripts, what? We do have the Yod. Alright? So there are numerous examples of, of Malev Chaser, plan or defective spelling. Um, and Rashi Sefer Torah was a little different than we have today. Let's go on to example number two. A different type of example. In Sefer Shmod it says, V'noadati l'chasham, all right, so God is telling Moshe that he's going to, he's going to speak with him um, from in between the Kruvim on top, that are found on top of the Aron, and Moshe will then tell this to the Jewish people. What does Rashi write on the phrase, What does that mean? This Vav is not necessary. It's incidental. What vav is he talking about? He, look carefully. He has ve'et kol asher etzaveh. And what do we have? Et kol asher etzaveh. And if we go to Kennecott, alrighty, and we look up, I, you know, nowadays, to do this in, like, even five years ago, I couldn't have done this. It's a book. How would I make copies? I just take my phone. It's unbelievable. I open Kennecott. I take my phone, take the picture, send it to my email. Like, it's unbelievable how you can take pictures of all these things now, right? In any event, et kol asher et tzavel. Tell look where the arrow is. If we go down, we have et next to the word et. What do you see? Ve'et. And we have 11 manuscripts with the reading that Rashi had. Okay, the vav, the, um, the vav in the beginning of the word. Kennecott is not online, so you don't even have to take a picture. Um, it is. The truth is that it is online, but I have, I've had a... I've, it's hard, I have a hard time accessing it, but it is online. So that would be even easier, you're right. But, uh, yes? We're talking about um, Torah manuscripts. Torah, Torah, Torah scroll. scroll. I mean, I can't, I don't know if they're rolled like a scroll, but they're Torah manuscripts that, that are found in either synagogues or libraries throughout the world. Sifrei Torah. Correct. Right. The Correct. Okay, so we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, in a few minutes, okay? So we'll get to that. They're not all the same manuscripts, I believe. Okay. Um, okay. Next Where example. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm now under the et where Revdosa the Greek, I just want to point, Revdosa the Greek, okay, he was a super commentary on Rashi. I'm under number B under the box. The rabbinic scholars of Ashkenaz asked me, how could Rashi write this, what, write that this vav is superfluous and meaningless when in fact it does not appear in all our texts? I answered, perhaps in Rashi's text of the Torah it was written without a vav, and it was an, with a vav, and it was the ancient practice to write the et with a vav. But nowadays it is written without when I was in Ashkenaz, in Vienna, 
I discovered a very old Torah script, manuscript. It had the et with a vav. But when I searched the Torah manuscripts in the Greek Jewish communities, I found none with a vav. So here we have a super commentary on Rashi in the 1400s, right, looking, coming to the same conclusion that their Sefer Torah must have had a vav and searching and finding. I just want you to know that I, I just Googled um, Rashi variants in the Torah, and I found this article by Professor Lyman with Rashi's Torah scroll flawed, exactly. It's a whole article about this ve'et. Anyone who wants to do further reading, just put it into Google, and you'll find his article. Ready? Free of charge. Ready? Let's look at number C. Let's look at another, which I think is even more um, surprising. In Sefer Shemot, we're told, Adonai All right, and the vision of God's glory was like a burning fire on the on the top of the mountain in the sight of Bnei Israel. Rashi quotes this pasuk later on in Sefer Shemot in Perek Lamedalid, and go to the underlined phrase. How does Rashi quote the pasuk? Hashem Israel. What's the difference? Instead of B'nai, we have what? We have Kol. And we could say that's a mistake. It's a mistake. Rashi made a mistake. But if we check Kanikat, Le'inei B'nai Yisrael, and we go down, what do we see? That one manuscript has the word what? Has the reading of Kol. And if one manuscript has the reading of Kol, we know in the ancient world when one manuscript had it, other manuscripts were copied from it, and it went out and had a life of its own. Already, so Rashi had the reading of what? He had the reading of the Kol. What happened though? What happened in the printed editions? Okay, if you will open up your standard Mikra Okadolo that you got for your Barabat Mitzvah, alrighty, I want what your standard Mikra Okadolo we talked about in this past in the past is just a copy of the 1866 Warsaw edition. It has not been touched in one. I don't know. Do the math. All right, in about 180 years. Alrighty, in the standard Mikra Okadolot edition, what do we have? Le'enei, look where the arrow is, B'nei Yisrael. They changed the wording of Rashi. Why? Of course, yeah, they changed the wording of Rashi because it didn't make sense. It doesn't fit, it doesn't harmonize with the biblical text that we have today, and they changed the word to B'nei. Let's look at the Torah Chaim edition, a beautiful edition. What does it say in the Torah Chaim edition? Le'enei, call Yisrael. The only problem is that we don't know when we read this, that this is not a perfect quote. Only if I open up to Chavdalad Yudzain will I know that what? Our Torah text has a different reading. And now if you look at the Haketer edition, new edition put out by Bar Ilan University, and the advantage of it is what do we have there on the bottom? Before it, it says Kol, that's what Rashi wrote, but they tell us our Nusach, the Nusach of our Sifre Torah today is what? B'nai. Okay, so you get all that information um, on one page. It means, I'm sorry? Haketer has the word kol, and then it adds, letting the reader know that reader, Rashi's version of the word is different than what we have in our Sifrei Torah. Our Nusrenu is, is B'nai. Okay? Let's look at another example. Um, look at number Dalid. In Mishlei it says, Peti ya'amin l'chol davar, ve'arum yavin l'ashuro. Okay, a fool believes everything, but a cunning man understands his steps. What does Rashi write regarding this pasuk? 
V'navon yavin la'ashuro. Is that what it says in our biblical text? No. What does it say? arum. Alrighty? And again, we could say that it was a mistake. But if you look in Kennecott here on the board, what do we see? arum. We have the word v'navon. Okay? So here we have a different word. We're no longer in the Torah. We're in the Tanakh, right? We're in Sefer, we're in Sefer Mishlei. Um, Navon, Navon, and Arum. It could, but we're going to see. We're not going to see. We're not going to do much more about this. But in general, the changes aren't that drastic. They're not that drastic in terms of the meaning of the pasuk. All right, and it's um, the word replacement is rare. We're going to see it's rare. The, the malay and the chaser is much more prevalent than the word replacement. But the word replacement is clearly what. Sometimes, but generally, it's just not 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 that much. Um, and I just want to show you that in the first printed edition of, edition of Mishle in Saloniki 1515, what word do we have? Navon. Not even vid. The vav is missing. Navon. Alrighty. So the first printed edition we have in the Rashi. Um, how many variants or differences are there between Rashi's Nusach and our Nusach? So um, Professor D- uh, Jordan Pankower worked on the Torah, and he came up with 60. He found 62 variants. He found 22 with vav at the beginning of the word. 21 with Malayin Chaser spelling, four word replacements, two word, five instances of two words combining into one, like Potifera. Um, I saw that constantly when I was working on Sefer Mishle, like the name Nebuchadnezzar, whether it's one word or two words. In biblical manuscripts, Nebuchadnezzar is generally, in Rashi manuscripts, two words, whereas often it's combined together. Changes in word form, Krashim instead of Keresh, one switch of similar letters, bitsati instead of kitsati, and in one and in one instance we have what? We have a missing word. Um, the concept of an awareness of variance we see in Chazal. Alright, and um, the first source is from the Sifri, it's also found in Masechet Sofrim and also found in the Talmud Yerushalmi. Okay, we could just read it in English. Three Torah scrolls were found in the temple court. The Ma'onim scroll the Hihi scroll, and the Sa'atutim scroll. In one they found were in Ma'on, and in two was written Ma'onah, Eloke Kedem. The sages adopted the two and discarded the one. Meaning, what are they choosing? The majority. But the majority of known scrolls. Notice each scroll has a name. Each scroll is known as a good scroll. It's not just the majority of, of the, just the majority. In one they found written Vaishlach et Zatute Bene Israel, and in two was written Vaishlach et Naare Bene Israel. The sages adopted the two and discarded the one. So we see that there has been this tradition of not this is Malay this is word changes. I mean there's been this tradition of not being sure in certain instances, in a few instances, and going with the majority. Um, the second source is from Sachet Kiddushin, and he said to them. Previous generations were knowledgeable about the full and the defective spelling, the Malay the Chaser, whereas we, the Moraim, are not. Already, so already see through tradition that they, they weren't exactly sure regarding Malay the Chaser, and we see this regarding um, Rashi's commentary. So, what type of Sefer Torah did Rashi have? Um, so, Professor Jordan Pankower, and this is, a, this is an article that you can look up, The Development of the Masoretic Bible, he writes, Changes in Rashi's Nusach mirror the Nusach found in a number of Ashkenazic medieval manuscripts. These changes can be traced back to an ancient text tradition, 10th century Mizrahi Torah scroll. 
the textual variants are not scribal errors, but reflect an alternate sub-tradition generally of spelling. Evidence points to the second half of the 13th century as the beginning of the awareness among certain Ashkenazi that the Sephardic manuscripts are accurate and differ from their own. Textual evidence then shows cases of manuscript correction. Alrighty, so Rashi is basing himself on an ancient, a, ancient tradition that goes back to a, um, a Mizrahi type of manuscript. Um, it's important to note, we've highlighted changes, but these are a small number of changes. And how well the text of the Torah was preserved despite the pogroms and the persecutions and the expulsions from country to country that we experienced through the centuries. This is a very small number of variants on the t- regarding the Torah. Um, Jordan Pankhauer, Professor Pankhauer worked on Yechezkel, and there he saw 75 variants in Sefer Yechezkel. I don't know about, I don't know if anyone has done any work on any other books of the Tanakh, but if anyone here is interested, um, that would be a very interesting study. All right, you go through Rashi and then compare his Nusach. So um, that was question number one, Rashi's Nusach. Question number two, contradictions. Hundreds and hundreds, there are hundreds of internal contradictions in Rashi's Tanakh commentary. I'm not even talking about contradiction between Rashi's Torah commentary and his Tanakh commentary and his commentary on the Talmud. Um, Yoel Florsheim wrote a three-volume series. Is anyone familiar with it? On contradiction between Rashi's Torah commentary, Tanakh commentary, and his commentary to the Talmud. That's a separate um, area of study. I'm talking about contradictions in the Torah commentary itself, in the Tanakh commentary itself. Ready? Let's look at a few types of contradictions and see if we can come up with some, with some ideas. Um, so the first contradiction that I want to investigate, example one, was Yishmael a positive or a negative influence? Alrighty, so on Sefer Breshit, all right, on the, I'm on two, example A, we're told, Alright, so Sarah saw the son of the Egyptian um, Hagar. She was playing, mocking with Yitzchak. So we're all familiar, right, with Rashi's famous commentary, What kind of playing was going on? They were doing idolatry. Now he brings a proof text. As it says, later on we see that the word, the biblical word, means to worship Avodah What is that referring to in Sefer Shemot? Alrighty. Then Rashi gives an alternate explanation. Or he was some doing, or the second explanation is according to Rashi, based on the Midrash, some type of um, immodest sexual activity. As it says later in Sefer Breshit, Lie with me, and what is that story from? Yosef and Potiphar. Zavar Acher, Lashon According to Rashi, the third explanation is murder. As we see later in Sefer Shmuel, when there are war games between Avner and Yoav. Alrighty, so Rashi brings three explanations of what the playing was, but clearly, from any one of these three, is Yishmael a tzaddik or is Yishmael a rasha? He's a rasha, right? He's an evil boy. If we go on a little bit later in the Psukim, what are we told? Sarah demands, because of Ishmael's behavior, to send Yitzchak away. So Ishmael away. To banish Ishmael. And it was very evil in his eyes, the eyes of Abraham, regarding his son. What regarding his son? Rashi writes, 
that he heard that what? He had gone off the derech, that he was a datlash, right? So again, that is another explanation. So according to this explanation, again, what do we see? Is, a, is Ishmael a good person or is he a bad person? He's doing evil things, he's left the derech. All right, so from these first two commentaries, we see that Ishmael is not a positive figure. He's a negative influence on Yitzchak. And then we get to, a little bit later on, Hagar and Ishmael are banished. They're sent to the desert. They're given bread and food and water, and the water runs out. And what happens after the water runs out? Hagar places Ishmael under a plant, um, and he is basically, he's going to die of thirst. And we're told in and God hears the cry of the lad, meaning Ishmael. And the angel calls out to Hagar from the sky. Do not worry. God has heard the voice of the Na'ar, of the lad of Ishmael, where he is found. Now this phrase, at the end of the verse, is absur- it seems to be superfluous, right? God hears his voice. So what does Rashi say on that last phrase, Ba'asher Husham? The theme asim shehu oseachshav hunidon. He's being judged for his actions now. And not based on what he's going to do in the future. Because the angels were complaining and saying, Elohim, God, you're a man whose descendants are going to hurt the Jewish people in, through thirst, where they're being sent to Galut, and they will not offer them water. Atama alelo, the air, you're going to give him water? Vuhum is and what does God say to the angels? Achshav mahu. Now what is he? Sadiq or Rasha? Amrulo, the angels answer, Sadiq. He's a Sadiq. Amar them, God says, I'm judging him from now and not for the future. Now, this third midrash paints Ishmael as what? As a tzaddik. Alrighty? That's contradiction number one. Contradiction number two? Not it's necessarily, because if he's out in the desert and he's taking care of his mother, we don't know. He might be doing things of now that he's worthy. Could be. But at first blush... At first blush, it seems like this is contradicting what Rashi said earlier. You're right. And that's exactly what the super commentators come and do. Okay, that's exactly what they're going to come and do. They're going to try to harmonize what seems to be something which doesn't, at first blush, seem to, to match. Alrighty? And I'm a great, that, that's totally valid. Alrighty? Um, number two. Um, excuse me, in the last phrase, in the last source that we read, when, how does God judge a person? Now or for what he does in the future? Now. Now let's go to example number B. In Sefer Dvarim, we read about a ben sorero more. Okay? Ki ye ish li ish ben sorero more. We have a wayward child. Enenu shomea bakol avivu bakol imo. He doesn't listen to, hearken to the voice of his father or his mother. Li yisrotov alo yishma lehem. And he, list, he doesn't listen to them, even though they're trying to give him musar. Vitafsubo avivu imo. His mother and father catch him, and they votziu el ziknei iro. They take him out to the gates of the city, to the elders. Our son is a wayward child. He does not listen to us. He eats, he's gluttonous and he drinks. He's put to death. Etc., etc. On this, what does Rashi write? He writes, 
the Ben Sorer Moram in the Rashi in the box. He says he's not considered a Ben Sorer Moram until he eats a certain amount of meat and steals a certain amount of wine. Now go to the bolded letters. Uben Sorer Neherag Al Shem Sofo. What does that mean? He's killed for what's going to happen in the future. Higia, all right, I'm agreeing with you. I'm agreeing with you. Higia Torah Lesof Dato. The Torah has come to understanding his way of uh, his way of working. Sof Shemachalem Amon Abid. He's going to use up his. He's addicted. He's addicted to his wine and his and his meat. He's going to use up his parents' money. He's umvakeshli mudove eno mota va'omei beparshad derachim mulastim et habriot. He's going to then have to steal in order to get what he needs. Amrat Torah Yamut Zakai va'al Yamut Chayav. Alrighty, so from this, it seems that a person is, according to Ben Sora Moreta, might be an extenuating circumstance, is judged what? Based on what's happening in the future and not the present. And it might never, it might not never have happened. The Gemara says, Lo Hayavalo, until the heel, right? Alright, in any event, the super commentary, the Mizrahi, alright, who is the most famous of Rashi's super commentators, um, he lived from 1440 to 1525, he was the chief rabbi of Turkey. Okay, he's concerned from, by these two contradictions. And what does he write? Regarding contradiction, we'll start with number two. He's, he says that generally a person is judged based on the present. Oh, sorry. My, oh, it's the next page. I'm sorry. My, my, when I sent it by email, it changed the page, the, pa- the pagination. See where it says super commentary, Revelyao Mizrahi? Alrighty. So, is it, what, where is it? The top of the? Bottom, it goes to the top, okay. okay. So the Mizrahi says that generally a person is judged based on the present, but because the wayward son has already started his downward spiral, He's judged according to what will be at the end in the future. And regarding this, the first contradiction of is yet tzaddik or what? Or rasha. Look at the third line of the super commentator. Amru lo tzaddik, piresh, meota avera shaltsama avamishar ha'averot rasha gamur hu el. He explains that Yishmael is a tzaddik regarding the accusation of, the sin, of sinning through water that his descendants will do in the future. But regarding all other sins, he is a rasha. Alrighty, so that's how the Al-Mizrahi um, resolves the contradiction. Let's look at one more contradiction. Um, example C. At what point is the evil inclination placed in man? All right, so we're all familiar, I think, with the famous Rashi regarding Rivka. All right, when the boys, the twins, are um, fighting in her stomach or tumbling in her stomach or they're crushed in her stomach. She had this unusual pregnancy. She feels unusual movement, and she goes to seek out God. Um, and Rivka is the first woman in Tanakh, that, the first person in Tanakh that goes to seek out God, that we read about, that actually goes to seek out God. Alrighty, so what does Rashi say on the word Vayitrotetsu? Alrighty, so she, um, Rashi, go to the second line. Rabotenu darshuhu lashon ritza. Our rabbis have explained it running. overet al Torah shel ve'ever. Yaakov rat umefachet Overet al pitre avudazara eshav mefachet 
So according to Rashi, when she would walk by a house of Torah, study who was trying to get out of the womb, Yaakov, and when she walked past a house of idolatry, Asa was trying to get out of the womb. So from here, it would seem that when, when is, from when is evil inclination in a person? In utero. In utero, in utero. Okay? okay? From the time that the fetus is in utero. If we go now to the next, to the next um, pasuk, after, after the flood, we're told, Hashem God smells the beautiful fragrance. And God makes a decision now, no longer to destroy the earth because of man. Okay, on the word Rashi writes, Notice Rashi's noting that there's no vav, so you can read the word Okay, this teaches us from the time he stirs to go out of his mother's insides, the urge to go do evil is put in him. So from this comment, it seems that what? It seems like the, it's given to a, a person, what? As they're being born, right? As they're stirring from the womb. And if you look at the PowerPoint, that is the, uh, that is the view in the Gemara Sanhedrin. And Antoninus had also asked Rebbe, from when does the evil inclination have influence over a person? Is it from the moment of the embryo's formation or from the moment of birth? Rebbe said to him, from the moment of the embryo's formation. Antonino said to him, if so, the fetus would kick against its mother's womb and leave the womb prematurely. Must it not be rather that the evil inclination begins to have influence over a person from the moment of birth? This matter did Antoninus teach me, and scripture supports him, for it is stated, sin crouches at the door. Okay, so the accepted, it seems, is that when it, at time of birth. But we see here, we have a contradiction. And, okay, and the Gur Aryeh, another super commentary on Rashi. What does he explain regarding the um, contradiction? So we can start. The halo eit nietzer harab the adam elam eit shenolad. Isn't it from the time of birth? Venire shahainu dafka shein ha adam chote beietzer harab liyot mit avelachto kodem shenolad. Before a person is born, he doesn't have that urge to sin. It's not because of the Yetzirah that Esav was trying to get out, but that he was here, but each being wants to go towards what it, what's similar to it, to return to what's similar. Alrighty, so we see here that according to the Gur Arye, um, it's not Yetzir Hara which is working here, it's not a negative force, but what? In a sense, a positive force. Of, of, of wanting to go back to something something familiar, something of its kind. So what do we see? That we see that through the use of fine distinctions, the super commentators look at the verses in isolation and using fine distinctions try to resolve the contradictions between individual verses, individual pevushim. Um, are there any larger solutions that we can look for? More general solutions than looking at isolated instances. 
Um, and there are two solutions that I want to propose um, and see if we accept them or not. The first, um, the first approach um, is espoused by Professor Elazar Tuito of Barilan University. And he says, what is the source of all the contradictions, 98% of the contradictions in Rashi? Textual changes. He says, I'll read the Hebrew. Anu menichim hamikori, the original nusach of the perush, lo kalal perushim Rashi's original perush did not contain contradictions. Bishlav mukdam me'od, in a very early stage, in a very early stage, either during Rashi's generation or right after, notes were made in the margins, they were then added to the text, and that is the source of what? Of the contradictions in Rashi. This theory has been refuted by scholars, and it does not hold up to manuscript scrutiny. That is not the source for 98% of the contradictions. In some cases, that is the source, these are additional additions to Rashi's commentary, but not in the majority of cases. And we have to be very, very careful when we use this argument to back it up by what? To back it up and show the manuscripts and show how it's happening. I put Google, like I told you, um, I'm, you know, I'm proud of myself that I started thinking about using Google. I put in Google Rashi contradictions, and I came, uh, came across something which was very astounding to me. I came across a contemporary Rashi scholar, very knowledgeable, who brought the following. He brought the following example regarding Amalek. He said, Rashi, why do we destroy the animals of Amalek? So in Sefer Dvarim, what are we told? You shall obliterate the memory of Amalek. What is Rashi write? From man to woman, child, and infant, ox, and sheep. So the name Amalek will not be remembered, even with regard to an animal, by saying this animal belonged to Amalek. In Sefer Shmuel, when Shaul is commanded to destroy Amalek, and he doesn't, what, is, what does Rashi say? Why ox and sheep? For they were sorcerers and they would change themselves to resemble animals. So you see here that these are two different reasons given why what? Why we have to destroy the animals of Amalek. This contemporary Rashi scholar, who is really a, a scholar, quoted a scholar from New York, Rabbi Friedman, and he wrote, Rabbi Friedman believes that it's not Rashi, meaning this, exactly what we said, that the contradiction is not coming from Rashi himself, but what? A comment that was added to Rashi's commentary. Alrighty? So we must find who wrote the Rashi comment in our sedra if it wasn't Rashi. Rabbi Friedman suggests it must be Rav Yosef Kara, who is a friend and a student of Rashi, because we see that Kara's in, uh, comment on the verse in Shmuel is similar to Rashi wrote on Sefer Dvarim. Just skip, you can read that later on. We have other evidence that Kara wrote in his notes in the margins of a copy of a Rashi manuscript. Remember, Kara, Yosef Kara lived at the same time, etc. This is what seemed to have happened here. Listen to the language. Seemed to have happened here. Until Rabbi Friedman made his scholarly analysis, no one could explain all the, puzzle, all the pieces of the puzzle. The lesson. This is but one example of a comment that we think is Rashi's, but isn't really his. It takes a scholar's sensitivity and breadth of knowledge to determine when a comment is an addition to Rashi and not actually his own. And I say no. That is only partially true. It takes a scholar's sensitivity, breadth of knowledge, and manuscripts. And manuscripts. You have to go back, you have to check, and you have to show that in X, Y, and Z manuscript, such and such happened. I went, I opened up the Haketzer edition, um, which checks manuscripts. I looked on both of those Sukim regarding Rashi, and there was no evidence, that, at least in that, in the Haketzer edition, that either one is a Tosefin edition to Rashi. So Rabbi Friedman might be right. 
But in order to be right, he has to he has to bring manuscript evidence, and I think it's it's only intellectual honesty to do that um, when presenting a divartora such as this. In any event, it is connected to Professor Tweetel because unless you can back it up by manuscript evidence, it can't be proven. So the first solution really isn't a 100% solution because in most cases it's not an addition to Rashi. So what could be the second approach for explaining why we have contradictions? A more general approach. And Professor James Kugel, um, originally from Harvard University and now lives in Israel, his, na- his name is now Rav Yaakov K- Professor Yaakov Kaduri, and he teaches at Bar Ilan University. Um, he's James Kugel, it's the same person. Um, he writes regarding Midrash. He writes regarding Midrash, and we're going to apply it to Rashi. What does he write? He writes in the, regarding the world of Midrash. The fact is that such inconsistencies were apparently not troubling for what the Midrash has addressed himself to. For what the Midrash has addressed himself to was first and foremost the book as a whole. No, right, not. But single verses, isolated and suspended animation. Such countencing of con- contradictory interpretations reflect on the essence of Midrashic writings, which are not compositions but compilations of comments that are usually focused on isolated individual verses. Consistency within individual sections of a Midrash, or even, or even in larger units, was apparently not an overriding consideration. The verse-centeredness of Midrash is so fundamental that one hesitates to even ask why it should be so. It just is the way Midrash proceeds. And it could be. It could be. I'm floating it out there. It could be the same thing with Rashi, that Rashi's commentary is culling for many, many, many different sources. Rashi would, Rashi's um, goal was to explain the individual verse and the, and, and the explanation of the individual verse to precedence over other considerations per, such as thematic unity. Right? So it's something to think about and to think about when you come across in terms of contradictions. The third Oh boy. The third perplexing question that I want to talk about is, did Rashi write a perush to all the books of the Tanakh? And you might ask me, well, why not? Why, why not? So if we look at question point number three, at the end of Sefer Eov, if you, Perik Mem Pesukhaf, in the box, end of Eov, what do we have in parentheses? Ad kan yisad Rashi, mikan ve'elech eno lashon Rashi. And the standard Mikra Okdula, what is it telling us? Until here Rashi wrote, from here on in, this is not the language of Rashi. And I brought, oh, I'm sorry, I just wanted to show you, oh, I forgot to show this to you. Um, this idea of conflicting, we're going back to the contradictions again, the idea of the conflicting views, we see already in the words of El Deo Mizrahi, the super commentator, look what he says here. Shem Yishlomar, Sha'agadot Chalukot. We have conflicting Midrashim, the Harab Hevi et Okay, this is regarding the super commentary and Rashi's contradictions, right? Right? So we already see the 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 kernel in the in the super commentary of Valley al-Mizrahi, Rashi is gleaning from different Midrashic collections, and the overall unity was not a, necessarily a priority in all places. Okay, um, Okay. back to Eov. Yeah, I brought it for you in the Sefer Mikro. This is the standard Mikro Okdolot. I circled it for you. Do you see the parentheses? Ad kan yisad rashi, mikan ve'elech, eno lashon rashi. Here we have textual evidence that what? 
that something happened near the end of Sefer Eov. If we look at manuscripts, this is the copy of the Vienna 24 manuscript of the 14th century, housed in the Vienna National Library. Look what we had at the end of Pesuk Chafhei. What is the word there by the arrow? Chaslat, which means what? End, like Chasal Sidor Pesach, right? The end, okay? The scribe is telling us, at the end of Pesuk Chafhei and Sefer Eov, Chaslat, it's the end, meaning no more Rashi, what, the continuation is not Rashi. Notice in the Mikraot Kodolot, we finished at what Pesuk? Not Chafhei, Pesuk what? Did you notice? Chaf, and here it's Pesuk Chafhei. That's not unusual, that things happen. Look what we see when we look at the Parma Darasi manuscript, how it's in the Parma Library. Something amazing. It's Pesukhate, similar to other manuscript. And then we have um, a beautiful little inscription. Kishem Shabal Hateena Yodea Zman Lakita Vilokta. Just like the owner of a fig knows the time to gather it, to pick it and to gather it, and he does. Biita in its time. So too God knew the time for Rabbi Shlomo. Rashi and took him in his time. Look how beautiful. To bring him to heaven. And he is no longer because God has taken him. That's a pursuit from Sefer Breshi regarding Chanoch. Okay. I'm telling you, using manuscripts is the most exciting thing when you come to things like this. All right. So it seems, right? It seems that that Rashi that Rashi passed on, or Rashi was near the end of his life, and um, he couldn't finish his commentary. So who did? <laughs> if you open up your standard you have Sefer Eov until the very end. Who finished off the Eov commentary? So we're going to see. That, um, there are a total of 48 manuscripts of the book of, of Marashi's commentary to Eov in libraries throughout the world. Four leave the end of Eov hanging, incomplete. They just end it where he ended. Of the 44 remaining manuscripts, it's completed in different ways. 30, the majority, Rav Yaakov HaNazir, um, he con- finished the commentary. He lived in Provence, in France, and there's a dating of 1163. We see that through some of his comments. Nine are finished off by the Rashvam, Rashi's grandson. Um, and our Mikra Ot is the commentary of the Rashvam. We have four finished off by Barach Yahanakdan, 13th century. And one, um, Rav Yosef, we have one manuscript of Yosef Kara, who is, as we said, Rashi's friend and a student. Um, Rashi's last years, we know that Rashi was weak and that Rashi um, was sick. And we know this from his response. So he writes here, I, the undersigned, young man, which he uses as a term of humility, he wasn't young, have been sentenced to the torments of illness laid out on my deathbed. I must be inappropriately brief, for my strength is diminished, and my hand, and my, and my hand and must, mine, should be mine, cannot ma- manipulate a scribe's pen. And I have spoken these lines to a member of my household, and he's written them to my lord and master, the glory of the priesthood. In another response that we have similar, my strength is diminished and my mouth is silenced, preventing me from telling of the hardships that sweep over me, wave after wave, as a result of which my hand is too weak to write in my own hand, a response to my relative, Rabbi Azriel, and my dear friend, Rabbi Joseph, that's Rabbi Yosef Kara, his friend's student. I therefore say to one of my brethren, and he writes it, and he writes it down. Right? So it works that Rashi worked until the very end, um, dictated until a certain point, and at a certain point then he couldn't continue on. Um, 
we wouldn't know the difference between that and, and what he actually wrote down. In other words, that... Right, except usually when we have very, like something like the Rashbam, if it was a dictation from his grandfather, he would tell us. He would tell us. Mm-hmm. Um, Rav Yosef Kara would tell us. They were very, very exacting um, when they quoted, the, when, when Rashbam was exacting when he quoted his grandfather. And he would, he would quote him with the, the greatest of honors. Okay? What about the book of Divrei Hayamim? Alrighty? So if you look on your source sheet, and here we can see it on you. Alrighty? And see Divrei Hayamim. Um, we have a few proofs in Divrei Hayamim. I'm bringing you two. Perek Bet, Divrei Mebechavet. Um, it talks about when the king is hidden by, in the Beit HaMikdash by the Kohen Gadol and his wife. And they quote Divrei Rashi to, to Chronicle says, Rabbeinu Shlomo Zatzal. Okay, so Rashi is quoting himself as being deceased. Okay, so that happens a few times, and that's usually a sign that something's wrong here. Okay, um, and a sign that Rashi did not write the, the Perush to um, Chronicles, unless this is a Tosefet. You always have to check back in manuscripts, but it's found in, in manuscripts. Um, a second proof is, um, if you look at proof number two, um, in a few places... He quotes the names of other scholars. Okay, uh, he says, "I heard this from Isaac, the son of Rabbi Shmuel in Narbonne." Alrighty, and who is this Rav Shmuel of Narbonne? He is someone who lived <coughs> around 1140. That's a generation after Rashi. Okay, so Rashi did not could not quote uh, Rav Shmuel of Narbonne. Uh, another name that he quote, that's quoted in Sefer Divrei Mamim is um, Rav Meshulam of Narbonne also lived two generations after Rashi. So it seems like it's someone, it wasn't Rashi himself. <coughs> and it's interesting, Narbonne, he's quoting Narbonne. So who then wrote this commentary on um, Divrei Hayamim? Many believe it's Rav Shmuel HaChassid, who wrote part of Sefer HaChassidim. He lived in the 12th century, and he also has a connection with um, Narbonne. Those who are interested in learning more, there's a book put out by Magnus Press called um, Pseudo Rashi to say for Divrei Hayamim by Iran Iran Weisel. I meant to bring it, but I put it on my t- dining room table, but I forgot to take it. All right. Anyway, so there's a book that you can look at. So those who want to learn more, um, the last book that I want to talk about is Ezra Nehemiah. And scholars believe also that Ezra Nehemiah was not written by Rashi, that it's pseudo Rashi, and they bring two proofs. One is that it's very very wordy and verbose, which is not Rashi's way, and it's three times the length of the Ibn Ezra. It's huge, and that's not the way Rashi was a terse writer who said things succinctly um, and didn't have to um, elaborate. The second reason is based on language and knowledge. Um, and say for Ezra, we have this pasuk, it's I'm now on proof number two, Ezra Dalit Pasug Yod. And other peoples whom the great Asnapar deported and settled in the city of Samaria and the rest of the province beyond the river. And now, look at that last word, Ucheenet. Do you see the last word, Ucheenet? I bolded it. Alrighty, so what does Rashi say regarding the word Ucheenet? Shemakom. It's the name of a place. The word Ucheenet, it seems to be a cognate of the word Ucheen, which is a known Aramaic word which means now. And it seems the word Ucheenet is not, is not a place name, but it's the, and now, it's the, when you move from the salutation of a letter to the, the body of the letter. This is a basic piece of information and knowledge that Rashi does not say here and says it's a place name, whereas in Sefer Daniel, he clearly uses the word Chanan as now. And Professor Mayer Gruber writes the following, he doesn't mince words. He says, this is only one example. 
It is hard to imagine that Rashi, who authored the still definitive commentary on the Babylonian Talmud and whose ex- lexical and grammatical insights continue to awe-inspire the most creative biblical philologists, would write such foolishness. Indeed, to insist that Rashi is the author of the commentary of Ezra and Nehemiah, wrongly ascribed to him in the rabbinic Bible, simply insults the master commentator. It appears that the commentary is the work of a beginning student or a group of beginning students. Okay, so it would seem, okay, that Rashi um, did not... I have to say that if anyone's interested in doing a doctorate, that it's a very good topic. I don't think that Ezra and Nehemiah has been done systematically, um, and that, if anyone's looking for some extra work, alrighty, that would be... I don't think it's been done. And I probably would know if it's being done because in the manuscript room in the National Library, you meet people who are working on Rashi. And I don't think anyone's working on it, all right? So there, there you go. So um, evidence indicates that we've seen that Rashi did not manage to finish writing commentary on the later books of the Tanakh because of sickness and then death. This dovetails into the interesting question, in which order did Rashi write his Bible commentary? Many believe that he began with Torah, then moved on to Nevi'im, and concluded with the Ketuvim, not totally finishing them, based on what we saw today, that the latter books he never managed to finish. Um, the final question, we're doing good, we have 10 minutes, all right, the final question that we're going to talk about today is Rashi Midrasha Collections. Is it the same as we have today? If you look at source, now you notice how it's all in English now, I said, oh, it's all in English, I said, probably by the end, people's eyes are tired, so, <laughs> but you can look it up yourself at home, all right, it's all there. Um, in Mishlei, Perikogimel Pasuk, in Mishlei, there's a Pasuk, and Rashi says, the poor man, the Midrash interprets it as speaking of the half shekel, which scripture levied on all of Israel and made the poor and the rich equal in that respect. So that the poor man does not hear a rebuke from the rich man saying, my share is greater than your share in the public sacrifices. Rashi quotes very clearly, the Midrash interprets it. We do not have that Midrash. We cannot find that Midrash. It is not uncommon. I would say it's common. It happens. Rashi quotes Midrashim that we do not have those compendiums anymore. They have been lost to us. Look at the next example. Mishlei 31.1. The words, this is a really a nice one. The words of Lemuel the king, a prophecy that his mother chastised him. Alrighty, so what does Rashi say? A prophecy that his mother chastised him when he married Batparo on the day of the dedication of the temple. She brought in for him many kinds of musical instruments, and he was awake all night and slept on the next day until four hours, as is related in the Pesikta, meaning he overslept. He was up all night, he overslept, and what, 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 what is brought in the base Hamikdash on the fourth hour of the day? The carbon tummy, but he was sleeping, right? That was not a good thing, alrighty? Um, and he says, as is related in the Pesikta, it is not found in the Pesikta de Rav Kahana or the Pesikta de Rabati. We do not, it is not found. Okay, so it would seem that Rashi's, the compendium of Pesikta that he had is what? It's different than the Pesikta that we have today. But I just want to say one, one important point. It's important to know and to remember that in some instances Rashi might have been quoting from memory. Okay, remember, he was living in the medieval world. He had a, he had a, a very good library but he didn't always have every book at his fingertips. And I want to show you the following, I think, very interesting example. In Sefer Mishle, it says, Yismach avicha ve'imecha ve'tagel yoladetecha. May your father and mother rejoice, and may she who bore you have joy. Our standard Mikroptol have no Rashi comments. Okay, this is the Lutsky manuscript housed in the JTS Library in New York. It's one of the best 
manuscripts of Rashi on Nevi'im and Ketuvim. Notice what we have here. The ta- go, go to the top of, right here. V'tagel la Ra'iti b'talmud Yerushalmi blank. In this manuscript, Rashi has a comment to our verse. He says, I saw in the Talmud Yerushalmi and it's a blank. Why is there a blank? The Lutzki scribe is very careful, much more careful than many others. If there is a blank, that means the manuscript that he copied from what? Had a blank. Now, why could there be a blank? Because Rashi might have had, said, there's Yerushalmi and I saw it. I need to what? I need to check it. I need to go and check it. I need to go and check the Yerushalmi. Perhaps he didn't have the Yerushalmi at home with him. Perhaps he meant to check it, and he never got around to checking it. And, he, and it was therefore left blank. Alrighty? What happens? The Vienna manuscripts, 23, where the scribe is not so careful, or he was copying from a scribe who wasn't so careful, forgot all about the gap and just wrote what? Ra'iti b'talmud Yerushalmi. That makes no sense because why? There's no comment. All right? So what happens in the first printed edition of Salamiki 1515? They just drop it. The whole thing is dropped. There's no ra'iti b'talmud Yerushalmi and there is no gap because it didn't make any sense. And, on our, and if you open up your standards, say for Mishle, there is, no, there is no comment. Again, it could be that in some of the instances, Rashi certainly had different midrashic collections. And a lot of them were much larger than we have today. His Brashit Rabbah was larger than we have today. And it could be that his Psikta was larger than we have today. But it could be that in some instances, it was a mistake that went on, or Rashi meant to check something, and he never had a chance to what? To go back and do it. Um, so just in conclusion, um, this afternoon we have investigated four, I think, important questions with regards to Rashi's Bible commentary. These questions are only discernible sometimes when one reads and learns Rashi carefully and uses critical additions that have not corrupted the Rashi text. We have proposed certain answers and have seen that many of the answers have already been found in the writings of Rashi's super commentators. As more and more sources and manuscripts are digitalized and are made available to all of us, perhaps additional answers will be found. But of course, as life teaches us, the questions are often better than the answers that we can offer. Thank you.